Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. This episode is a little bit different because this is a crossover episode with popular podcast Conversations on Dance, hosted by Rebecca King Ferraro and Michael Sean Breeden. They were here in San Francisco for the opening of our Unbound Festival and conducted several Meet the Artist interviews while they were here. This interview was recorded on Sunday, April 22nd, and features choreographer Annabelle Lopez Ochoa. For more interviews recorded during the Unbound Festival, check out Conversations on Dance podcast in the iTunes store or anywhere you get your podcasts, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Welcome to another live podcast from San Francisco Ballet. In this episode, we are joined by festival choreographer Annabelle Lopez Ochoa. This episode is a recording of a live Meet the Artist event that took place before a performance of the Unbound Festival on April 22nd. For more live content like this from other San Francisco Ballet performances, please check out their podcast network on iTunes. Stay tuned to Conversations on Dance for regularly programmed Monday episodes as well as continued bonus content from our time in San Francisco. Hi, everybody. Um, as you're all trickling in, I'm just going to do a quick introduction. You can sit wherever. Um, welcome to our Meet the Artist talk for this afternoon and to Unbound A. Uh, today, we our talk is going to be hosted by former Miami City Ballet dancers Rebecca Ferraro and Michael Breeden. They are the co-hosts of the Conversations on Dance podcast. So you'll be able to hear this discussion both on their podcast, conversationsondance.com, and on the San Francisco Ballet Meet the Artist podcast and on our website probably in about a week. So look for that. And you can also find all of our other Meet the Artist talks and points of view lectures on the San Francisco Ballet website and on iTunes. Today they'll be speaking with choreographer Annabelle Lopez Ochoa, whose piece Guernica will be premiering on Tuesday night as part of Unbound C. So I'm going to turn it over to them. And again, thank you all so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, and thank you to San Francisco Ballet for having us here. We've been here um, over the past few days covering the festival, doing interviews with uh, festival artists, and all of those interviews will go live on our podcast, on our website, and as well on iTunes. So I'm sure it's content that will interest all of you, so we hope that you take an opportunity to check it out. It's nice to see so many of you coming out to the talk as well. Um, how many? Of you, yeah, it's great turnout, right? Uh, how many of you uh, have come to one of the performances this weekend? Great. All right, so some of us know a little <laughs> bit about what we're we're getting ourselves into. It's been some, you know, forty-eight incredible hours of uh, six world premieres so far. And if you saw the performance on Friday, you know that this is a really a truly electrifying program. So I think you guys are going to have a great afternoon here. Absolutely. So, Annabelle, thank you for joining us. It's so great to speak with you. Um, we just want to start a little bit about your uh, talking about your career as a dancer. Uh, you danced a lot in Europe. Can you tell us about your time dancing and how that informed your choreography? 
So I started in two tiny companies in Germany that were dance theater, because dance theater is very big in Germany. And I was 18 years old, and I got really quickly bored because I was too hyperactive, so I left. And I joined a modern jazz company in uh, The Hague, and they sh folded after three and a half years. And then I joined the Scapino Ballet, which went from contemporary classical to contemporary Uh, for the rest of my career, and I stopped dancing at the age of 30. And that informed my, me as a choreographer because, uh, first of all, I like storytelling. I've done a few narratives. Um, I like ballets with very clear themes. Uh, then the jazz is the hip-hop movements <laughs> that you will see in my work, and then the contemporary is you know, what I try to infuse in the classical work that I make. <laughs> so when you stop dancing at age 30, that's still... A, a young time for a dancer. Um, but what, what led you to the decision that you needed to focus solely on choreography? Were you finding it to be a hard balance, the dual careers of dancer and choreographer? Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm really amazed by Miles that he can yeah. do yeah. it, actually. Um, yeah, I started choreographing when I was 11 years old, and I knew at that age this is the best for me. Uh, I just like to create new, rea new realities. And so, but I knew I have to be a dancer to understand how it is to, to, you know, the, the, the dynamic of groups. And you only get to know that when you're a dancer yourself and part of a group. And I observed a lot of my, you know, my choreographers. I worked with a lot of choreographers. And by the age of 28, it started already that I started getting bored, um, again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was just too um, in tune with all the details of cre uh, creating a new piece. So when I was on stage dancing, uh, I would feel if the light was too late. I was like, wow. oh, this light should be on there at that moment. So I was just more uh, in tune with the overall than just the performance of my own uh, part. And so by the age of 30, I, I, I knew I couldn't you know, focus on both because when you're choreographing, you're in your head. And when you're a dancer, you have to be, you know, taking care of your instrument, which is your body, and being very focused and that you stay healthy. And, and yeah, so that's why I made that decision. It was a very easy decision to make. So you've um, choreographed extensively in Europe and across the U.S. So how do you feel that the aesthetics differ between the two locations and the dancer's approach to your work? Um, well, in Europe, the companies are funded by the state, So we get more time to create work. We get more time to do the lightings and everything. Um, so the vibration in the studio is much lower than in America. In America, you have three weeks and you've got to make it and it has to work. Um, so, and also in Europe, you have many more new choreographies. So, you know, it's, Once you, you come as a choreographer, it's, it's not a celebration. It's like, okay, one more piece. And here in, in, in the States, it's a celebration when a new work gets made because there's so much, you know, uh, work into finding the fundings for it and, you know, uh, private sponsoring, which we don't have in Europe. Um, so dancers are faster here. Uh, I would say more focused. Um, and they're much more aware that their career is short, so they go for it completely, as opposed to dancers in, in Europe. They sometimes use a system. You know, if you have a cold, well, you can stay at home. And uh, if, if your knee hurts or you have a bruise, but, well, you can stay at home. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, they do at some point use that system, so it creates a different dynamic. 
Do you feel that you have to um, approach your work and your preparations ahead of time differently when you have a lot of time versus less time? And do you prefer actually to have less time? Is it kind of more exciting maybe? No, I want the right amount of time. <laughs> so t too long is not good. I think every artist needs a, a deadline. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you can just keep on tweaking and changing and doubting and maybe, you know, version 2, number 2.7. Um, so I think too long is not good for me. And, you know, when you have short times, like for Tulsa Ballet, I just had two weeks. So I really had to come prepared with, you know, the ID and, and it had to be good. And the piece was short and compact. And, uh, but you know, with San Francisco, I think we had quite a lot of time. We had three weeks, six hours a day. And I came back two weeks ago and we just had an hour and a half a day. But, um, so we had a good fair amount of time to make these pieces. So you've created over 50 works at this point in your career. How would you say your work as choreographer has evolved over that time? Your work as a choreographer. I hope I got better. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how has it evolved? Yeah, I try to, um, find a challenge. I always have a question before each piece and I try to research in something I've never done before. And so for this piece, particular piece, it was cubism. So how can you translate cubism into movements? Um, and you know, I, for the Dutch National Ballet, I just had a premiere a couple of weeks ago. I used 32 dancers, a, a singer, and a band on stage. And it was so big. And I think that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to uh, to undergo that challenge. So I think every time I try to push the boundaries and now making, you know, my first full length, at, uh, not my first, my fifth or fourth full length at, in Canada. And for the first time, I'm going to have children in the performance. So that's a new element. So every time I try to see to how I can grow. Expand the possibilities. Right. So in the past few years, uh, a lot of discussion has arisen about a lack of female choreographers in the U.S. Do you find there to be a similar problem in Europe? Yes. Uh, there are a lot of female choreographers, but they tend to be contemporary choreographers. Uh, there are not a lot of female choreographers in classical companies that are given an opportunity. So I, I know that there are a lot of reasons bandied about, one of which is that um, a lot of the women just inherently work harder in a classical company. If you're uh, a female dancer in the court of ballet, you're thinking about your you know, snowflowers every night in Nutcracker and uh, triple bills during the season. But we might have those reasons, but we still need to move past that just having excuses. What do you think some of the ways we can um, encourage female voices to present themselves in, in the choreographic world are? I think it starts uh, during the education. We are not um, educated to vocalize what we feel. We are educated to express with our bodies uh, certain things. We are there to listen to someone talk and then the piano goes and you just do your movements. So we'd never ask what the dancer thinks about a certain ballet they saw that night or, you know, uh, a variation they're learning. And I think that should be uh, implemented in the education so that female, you know, ballerinas use their voice to express their things. And also to, you know, talk about, you know, society and how that also informs the art 
Uh, but at, you have to start at a young age because a lot of dancers, when you go out with them, they have like a normal voice. They drink a glass of wine, scared, and you <laughs> ask them something in the studio, and they're gonna talk like this. So what was? I think it's for. I'm like, what? What is wrong with using your normal? woman's voice you know so and i think it's because they're just not used to it it's out of respect because you know it's very hierarchy uh kick sort of uh you know uh, constellation in the world of ballet and in contemporary dance we don't have the the hierarchy so everybody's a soloist everybody's a chord ballet and we're much more in collaboration with choreographers we can actually tell them this does not feel right on my body could we you know and in in ballet it is not uh that way. So I think we, we should start there and then maybe we'll see more female, you know, classical ballerina uh, taking on that step. Right. right. Thanks. Um, so this is your first work for San Francisco Ballet. What has intrigued you about the company and made you want to work here? And what has surprised you the most about the process with the dancers? Well, I, I was invited here, so it's not that I chose the San Francisco Ballet, that <laughs> Helgi chose me, or at least he, I was uh, introduced by someone that ha I had worked for. Um, yeah, we, you know, as you might have know already, the company was divided in three groups. So we had some small San Francisco Ballet. <laughs> so everybody had 24 dancers, and you have to make your piece with these dancers. You're not allowed to choose from other groups. I did have a little choice. <laughs> I did have a little dealing. So the, one of the choreographers, uh, his name is uh, David Dawson. He really wanted to work with Sofiane because they had worked in the past and the circle would be, you know, rounded if they could work again. I said, sure, but <laughs> there's no discussion here. I get Doris. So, and, and I wanted her because the, you know, the, the theme of the piece is Hispanic. It's uh, Pablo Picasso's Guernica and I'm using, you know, flamenco movement into it and I needed that sort of uh, aura. Um, so that was the only girl that I had casted and the rest, you know, it's every time, you know, I worked for 50 companies. So every time I come to worlds that I don't know anybody and I have to come with my ID, my themes, my music, my, you know, steps, and then, you know, see how they react to it and then adapt it to them. Because in the end, it's not me dancing, it's them. So some pieces, if I had had this piece on 24 other dancers of San Francisco Ballet, the piece might have been different. So somewhere we made this together. So uh, you, you spoke about how uh, you like to have a specific theme or idea propelling a piece. I, I take it you wouldn't just say, well, this is, a, uh, this is music I like, I'm going to make some steps to it. No, no, I never do that. So how do, these, uh, how do these ideas or themes come about? And then how do you find your way um, through them? How do you make those uh, obvious through the movement? Um, so why do I use themes? Um, because I've worked a lot with, you know, uh, theater and actors, and I'm, you know, together with a stage director, actor. So we always talk about that art needs to say something. Um, and so, you know, as a young kid, I made a lot of movements on music, and I would use, you know, Madonna and... and I don't know, Michael Jackson music, and I would just do movements, and it didn't mean anything but movements. But for me, it helps to have a theme because it's a, the parameters and to see, you know, otherwise I can do any kind of movement. And I'm just interested. The more I, I lock myself into a theme, 
the more freedom I find. And I like the research into, you know, looking at paintings, looking at uh, flamenco, reading about Picasso, reading about Guernica, and all this information uh, helps me, prepares me to what is the direction. So, you know, I follow my intuition, but actually it is all the things that I read before coming into the studio. So you had this clear inspiration of using Pablo Picasso for imagery for this ballet. How has um, that idea evolved since actually getting in the studio with the dancers? So when I was invited, I knew that I, by Helgi, I knew that I wanted to do something about Picasso, but that was like a year ago. And then last year on the 7th of April, 2017, there was a video that came out on CNN about the uh, uh, devastation of the chemical attacks in a tiny little village in Syria. And my reaction to it is that it was so overwhelming, I, I pressed on the stop button. I couldn't watch it. It was too much. And I thought, oh my God, I'm such a hypocrite. For it, it would exist if I would be able to watch the whole video, but I made it not existing by pressing the button. And I thought, what can I do as a human being? I felt so helpless. I cannot help these people. And then I thought, but what can I do as an artist? I could, you know, talk about it. And suddenly the Picasso, I looked at his work and I thought, oh, he did the same with Guernica. He was actually, you know, painting, working on a huge painting and Guernica happened, the bombing. And he stopped that painting and said, I have to make this, this mural. And uh, so, you know, to eternalize and to make us aware of the senseless violence in this world. And, you know, that, that was his way to uh, make a pacifying gesture and, and to denounce what was happening. And so my piece is, is really an ode to, uh, and a salute to Pablo Picasso, to an artist that actually used his art to say something about what was happening. So the piece is not, you know, a replica of Guernica. You're not going to see things. I mean, there are definitely elements, but it's, you know, I read a lot about him. And for example, one of the themes is that he always would paint himself as a minotaur, so half Taurus, half man. And his first uh, sketch when he was nine years old was that of a bullfighting. And so I put all these elements into this ballet. And the last picture is a painting that he could have done. So you'll see the whole ballet, and at the end I will end with what I think Pablo would have painted. So you're talking about how you use all these different components to um, sort of inspire the work. You, you like to read up on the history of these. You, you take uh, literal inspiration from the, the portrait itself. Um, what would you say are your your biggest influences on your work uh, overall? Not not narrowing into specific ballet, but um, who are your biggest inspirations, be it choreographers or artists? Uh, for me, it's really the painters. I mean... You know, I don't look up to other choreographers because it's already made. (laughs) I have nothing else to, you know, respond to it. But a painting really gives me ideas, images, colors, uh, movement. Um, I don't have a particular uh, admiration for one choreographer. I just sometimes I see pieces that are really underground of unknown choreographers or beginners. What I love and I'm so struck is when I see a work that's been done fearlessly like somebody had an idea and just went for it and there's no compromise and i'm in awe when i see that happen and i can feel this there's a certain vibration to it i can feel like wow you were not scared it was it's so not trendy what you did it's so not pretty it's so not this but you did it and that's you know that's 
always an admiration I have for any kind of artists, choreographers, musicians, composers, and uh, painters. But I, yes, I made a lot of pieces about, you know, inspired by paintings. So we'd like to open up the floor to some questions now for Annabelle, right over here. Oh, absolutely. We'd love to. We're reintroducing ourselves. My name is Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. We are the hosts of the uh, podcast Conversations on Dance. We are also former dancers with the Miami City Ballet. So we're here uh, interviewing many of the festival's choreographers and uh, dancers. We've already done what I think that you, Annabelle, you are our 16th 17th? or 17th interview in the past three days. So all of that will be up on our website or anywhere you get your podcast. So iTunes or um, Google, all those wonderful places. And on, and the they will eventually be available on San Francisco Ballet's website as well. Thank you. And this Annabelle. is Annabelle. <laughs> My name is Annabelle lopez and I'm a freelance choreographer based in Amsterdam. I am half Belgian, half Colombian, therefore I have this uh, Latin name. But my mother tongue is French. That's the accent you hear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right here. Uh, the question is, uh, if Annabelle could choose anywhere to work, where might that be? Um, I'm very fortunate. I mean, I'm a female choreographer and they say that they're not, you know, female choreographers don't get as many opportunities. I'm very fortunate that I got so many opportunities and I've been asked by 50 companies in the entire world, including Cuba, Moscow, Australia, Chile, Belgium, uh, you know, Spain. Um, so I had dreams when I was a young choreographer and they became, you know, my dreams were so much smaller than what life has given me. So, I'm just open to whatever comes my way. And, uh, you know, if I, if a small company asks me to work with them in, in, in the middle of Mongolia, why not? Because traveling so much and having to adapt to a, a, a new company, a new culture, a, a language that nobody talks, sometimes you have, you know, a translator with you, really, um, it forms me as a human being to be, you know, uh, understanding the world and understanding human beings. And it forms me also as a choreographer. It enriches me a lot. So I, I don't have a dream company to. <laughs> Anyone else right here? When, uh, Annabelle, when you look at your earlier works, do you ever want to make changes to them? Always. <laughs> yes. I'm, you know, I'm, it's not that I'm never happy with my work, but. Sometimes you look at things you've done five years before and you think like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> that was me. And I feel that, you know, when I was younger, I, I put so much information in my pieces and sometimes by uh, make it more simple, uh, uh, you know, allowing a silence, a moment of pause, you can actually reach more uh, the emotion of a viewer. So when I look at my works, usually I... I try to simplify it to go to the essence of the essence of what I wanted to say. So, so do you actually implement those changes or? Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> I have a lot of versions of my, and every time I say, okay, this is the new version. And you know, I made a piece, a Requiem for Rose, which four companies did. And the last company was Smeon Ballet in September. And I made so many changes on them. And next year, Ballet Austin will do it again. And I will say, no, no, we're not going to do your version. We're going to do the version that I did with Smeon Ballet. I, I saw the premiere of that ballet, so I'd be very curious to see how it's evolved. Okay. <laughs> yes, right here. 
So the question is about uh, the discipline that you gained as a dancer. Does that help you in your choreography, and do you still maintain taking class and those sorts of things? Um, I should. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I don't take class anymore, just for the mere fact that there are too many mirrors in the... <laughs> it's, you know, when you're a dancer, you're the whole time watching yourself and correcting and judging. And when you're a choreographer, you have your, your, your back towards the mirror. And so when you take class, you have to look at yourself again and, you know, you, you, do, you, you try hard. And then that arabesque is really low. You think it's high, but it's actually really low. And, and you're, you're shaking and your brains know what to do, and, but the leg doesn't do it. So, no, I, I try not to do class. Um, I, you know, I, I say I go to the gym. So I have a gym membership. <laughs> <laughs> I've done Pilates a long time ago for an injury. And I, I know, you know, I still do five or six exercises from it right before I start a new project. But the more you're inside the choreography, the more you need that free time in the morning to go into your brains and to meditate. Okay, I have one hour and a half today. How am I going to do that? And it takes, it takes that moment of stillness that when I would just, you know, prepare myself physically, I wouldn't have time to think. So I should be doing more, but I don't. <laughs> it's on my to-do list. And, um, but, you know, I move a lot as a choreographer. I am still a very actively choreographer. I like to show. I like to feel the movement. So I guess that's what keeps me in shape. Anyone else? Yes, right here. So is there a, a painting or an artist that um, you have in mind for a future work as inspiration? Well, I have a painter that I've done a short work of. That her name is Frida Kahlo. And I did that for English National Ballet, and it is a dream of me, of mine, to make a full length of her life. So yes, and Dali, and I would like to do a triptych of Picasso, because he has very distinctive uh, periods in his life and in his work, and I'd like to do like a sort of yeah, not a biopic but a triptych. So these are my wish lists. Maybe somebody on the podcast hears it, yeah. a director. Authors, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, anyone else right here? The question was, did you feel more pressure because there were 12 choreographers here and 12 works at the same time? Not at all. It's been an amazing ride um, meeting all these choreographers of my generation because usually, you know, when set in triple bills, there's always a, a, a deceased choreographer. <laughs> and they always choose his best piece. That's why we still perform. So there's always that pressure and that weight. And then they use, usually in a triple B, they use something that was done already with the company. So the dance have done it many times. They know it. And it's uh, a stager comes and set it. And then you're always alone, like, you know, uh, biting your, your nails. Um, so, no, this has been wonderful to share these moments of joy. And then the first tech rehearsal on stage, completely despair. <laughs> I need a drink. And, you know, with all the choreographers, you saw exactly that same route. And then, you know, the second take's like, it's getting there, it's getting there, you know. And so, no, it's been, it's been fun to have them around. Are you guys kind of a support system for each other right, right now? Right now, yes. I think we're going to keep in contact. Oh, yes. Great. That's nice. All right. Anyone else? One more. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I see two hands. Let's do over here. <laughs> Annabelle chose you right here. What advice do you have young for young dancers? So many. <laughs> uh, for young dancers, just, you know, you can't be 
successful if you don't work hard. It is the work that is going to be your recompense, uh, uh, reward. So, hard working. It's a lovely note to end on. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank, Thank you, you Annabelle. all of you. Thank you all for coming Enjoy out. the show. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programming, check out sfballet.org slash explore.